Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Are you ready for the Word? All right. Today we're going to be talking about someone has been praying for you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. By the time we get to Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus in Jerusalem in what is the last, uh, just the last moments, the last days, the last couple of days of his earthly life and ministry. He is just about to be uh, crucified. He will then be buried and three days later be resurrected. And, uh, uh, but here he's facing some very difficult moments. And so he's sharing with his, uh, with his disciples, as it were, he's sharing with them uh, just exactly uh, um, what's going to happen. He's tried to tell them several times that he's going to be crucified. They wouldn't listen to him. You know, one of the last times he tried to tell them, they were talking among themselves. And so later he asked him, he said, what were you all talking about? Why were you so distracted? Why couldn't you, you know, uh, uh, listen to me telling you that I was going to be crucified and I was going to die? And, and they said, well, we were talking about which one of us is the greatest. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> they were over there having a conversation about which one of them was better than the other one. Oh, well, I, I preach better. I sing better. You know, I take up a better offering. I don't know what they were talking about. But, uh, but at any rate, Jesus said, don't you know that, that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you're going to have to become the servant of all. For it's not those that are first, it's those that are last. It's those that are willing to humble themselves and serve that God is going to promote. And so he's telling them some very critical things and some very needed things. And he gets to verse 31 and he addresses Simon Peter. Because Peter was one of the men who had kind of opposed Jesus. Because Jesus said, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be crucified. And Jesus said, uh, Peter said, no, Jesus, you aren't. That's not going to happen. You need to quit talking like that. Over my dead body, basically. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, you don't understand here. You are not receiving this message from the Holy Spirit, but that's your flesh. It's necessary that I go through this crucible. And so then he begins to address Peter, and look what he says to Peter in, in verse 31. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Boy, that's kind of a Job passage, isn't it? Do you realize that, that that's not just in the book of Job, that's in the book of Luke, that here... Satan evidently has approached the Lord. Maybe he came before God again and said, you know, God said, well, have you seen my servant Peter? You know, and uh, he said, yeah, but you know, Peter is one of those that's close to Jesus. Peter is one of those that sees the miracles. Peter is one of those, you know, that has everything going okay for him. But evidently, God was not going to go down that road again. 
And here Jesus said, Satan has asked for you. He's desired you. He's wanted you. Satan's been looking at you. Why? Because Peter was a target. Why was Peter a target? Because Satan knows that anybody that God calls and spends time with, anybody that God invests in, is a potential threat to the kingdom of darkness. And Peter was a great threat. And here Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Wow. But, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Now, let's hold there just one second. You know, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, it almost looks as though that he would not have a real need to pray. I mean, he can do anything. He can walk on water. He commands demons. He is the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. Why in the world did he need to pray? I think the reason why we see Jesus praying not only this time, but many times in his earthly life and ministry, is because he wanted to point out, if the Son of God prays, then don't you think you ought to pray? He said, listen, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And here's what I prayed. I prayed that your faith would not fail. I didn't pray that you would never experience hardship. I didn't pray that you would not go through some tough times. I didn't pray that you would be taken out of this world, but rather that you would be kept in the world. And that's what Jesus talked about when he was praying to God in John 17. I'm not asking, Lord, that you take them out of this world. I'm not asking, Lord, that they escape all that's going on around them, but I'm asking you to give them the power, to give them the resources, to give them the strength, and in this case, to give them the faith that they will not fall prey to the attempts of the enemy to stop them, to destroy them, to disillusion them, to distract them, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, speaking about the time that Peter was just about to encounter, the time when Peter would even deny knowing Jesus and even with cursing say, I never knew him. Jesus was saying, and when you get through that first hurdle, when you get through that next trouble, when you return to me, then strengthen your brother. And you know, every time we go through a difficult moment, whether it's temptation, testing, trials, tribulation, when we go through something and realize that our faith carried us through, that our faith did not fail, that our faith helped us to recover, that our faith helped us to return, that our faith helped us to repent, that our faith helped us to re-engage. We need to turn around and use that as a testimony so that we can strengthen those who are approaching their moment of temptation, their hour of pain, the trouble that they might be facing. What a ministry that Jesus said Peter would have in strengthening others who went through difficult times, even the times that Satan desires to sift them like wheat. But we've been prayed for. How touching, how real. You see, three and a half years earlier from this moment, three and a half years earlier, 
Jesus had called Peter, saying, come and follow me. Peter was, um, you know, a young man, a young married man. Not only was he a young married man, but he also had an aging mother-in-law that he was to take care of. He was living in her house and taking care of her. And, 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 and don't you know it was an exciting day when Peter came home from fishing and told his wife, I just quit my job. I'm going to follow a man named Jesus from Nazareth. I'm going to become his disciple. His de decision to follow Christ was not without concern and it was not without cost. You see, becoming a disciple in those days was not only equal to becoming a student, but it is also equal to becoming a servant. What you did is you gave your time to serve someone else, hoping you could learn what they know so in days to come you could do what they did. That was a disciple. That's what Jesus offered him. Come and follow me, by the way, with no promise of pay. It didn't come with a paycheck. Come and follow me and watch what I do and listen to my teachings and maybe you can become like me. Maybe one day you can get people to follow you and watch what you do and listen what you say without the promise of a paycheck so that they also can do one day what you do. In fact, that's what Jesus told them to do. Go and make disciples just like I have taught you, you teach others. Isn't that like this wild kind of thing? Come and be an apprentice. Of course, we're well aware that this is still the plan of God, and it may not be the easiest and, and uh, uh, even frowned on at times. Nevertheless, it's exactly what happened to me. It's exactly the thing that happened to so many I know who are in the ministry today, people that you look at and imagine they may never, you know, you think they never had a problem. We had a, we had a pastor come and preach here one time and I wasn't here. And when I got back, uh, some of the people here at our church, some of the congregation members were upset at the pastor who preached because he told them that I did not understand what ministry was really like because I had a big church. It offended those folks because those people had walked with me <laughs> Getting to this place, <laughs> it's not all a bed of roses, you know. You don't know what other people went through. Peter went through a lot. And it's exactly the pattern that many men and women, you don't know what people have gone through like Peter went through. You know, uh, uh, just two weeks ago, I took a day off and I drove hundreds of miles to a city, to another city, and hundreds of miles back that night just so I could say thank you to a man that I have not talked to in over 35 years. A man who, whenever God called me into the ministry, by the way, this is not a prescription for you, okay? This is a description. This is not a suggestion for you. But when God called me into the ministry, I believed it was the will of God for me to let everything go that I had going on and to go and serve another man's ministry without promise of a paycheck and indeed without a paycheck. <laughs> and I had not talked to this man that God told me to serve 
in over 35 years. Two weeks ago, I drove all the way to the city that, 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 that he lives in just to sit down at lunch and say thank you. Thank you for letting me learn. You know, I, I, I listened and I learned. And as I told him, I learned some things I don't want to do, and I learned some things I do. There's a reason why I haven't talked to him in 35 years. <laughs> but, you know, uh, for the 40-plus years that I've been in the ministry, I also have had a lot of disciples come and sit and learn. Some of those have simply showed up at our offices, showed up at our church. Some sat in our hallways for months, for years, waiting, just waiting on the next chance, the next lesson, the next, you know, uh, just, I mean, just, just investing. You know, uh, some of the pastors in our community and some of the churches that we have started have started out of the fact that young men, young women came and just sat and listened and served. I can remember Pastor Kyle Trahan. You remember uh, uh, Pastor Kyle? He was in Columbia. We had sent him to Columbia so he could learn ministry. <laughs> And, and I called him one day in Columbia. I said, there's only one more lesson I can teach you, Kyle. He said, what is it? I said, I want you to get on a plane and fly back home. And I want you to sit down in my congregation. And I want you to say one word for one year. Woo! Y'all know Kyle. My goodness, Pastor Kyle is, uh, you know, I'll pray for a leaf to be you know, to get back onto the tree and live, you know? I mean, I said, it's the only lesson I have left that I can teach you. You know, you know the Word, you know the Spirit, everything. Come and sit in the church and don't say one word for a year. Just sit there. Kyle said, yes, sir. It didn't come with a paycheck. He came and he sat, and he sat, and he sat. And he sat. Oh, I could see him. So, you know, uh, some Sundays, uh, uh, Pastor Vaughn, I would show up. I'd wonder, is Kyle going to show up today? Is he going to come back this week? Because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't know. Hey, well, he, I kind of half expected him to break down the doors and burst out and go do something. But it was a lesson that God told me to teach him. He didn't tell me to teach everybody that lesson. But for him, it worked. You know, I can remember whenever I went to him that day and said, okay, listen, would you, would you teach uh, um, um, a, a few people in a Bible study? He said, would I? <laughs> you know, now, Passion Church, you know, I was just down there at their uh, 11th anniversary here recently. I went down on a Sunday morning, their 11th anniversary of the church we planted here in Port Arthur and and uh, with him and with the members from our church and you know blowing and going doing great doing wonderful stuff powerful uh, you know what what a lesson what a lesson three weeks ago uh, um, let's see A.J. Jackson sitting right there the guy that led praise and worship this morning three weeks ago we went out to lunch it ended up where he's sitting in the office now every day I take him with me sometimes. We walk around the building. Sometimes, you know, we drive through the community. You know, I bring him in on our planning meetings. We're talking about this and that and the other thing and everything. And he's sitting there. Why? Because it's his investment in the ministry. It didn't come with a paycheck. I just said, I got a chair. <laughs> Thankfully, his wife agreed. <laughs> Peter's wife must have agreed as well. 
because that's what happened to Peter. You know, people who are willing to make an investment in the calling of God in their life are people you can invest in. By the way, once again, it's not my suggestion for you. Only God can write a prescription that big. It's happened to so many other people. Some of you sitting here in the church, that was your discipleship. The church is still one of the best Bible schools on the planet. You pay to go to Bible school. Why not pay to be discipled or at least be willing? But it must be a God thing. If God is not willing to pay for it, you cannot afford it. God is interested in us learning. God is interested in us being discipled. And God is interested in us making disciples. And God wants to use what we have learned and what we have already learned in life, as well as he wants to teach us new things and new applications. And, and uh, it, it's a pattern of God. You know, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's house, a member of the royal family in Egypt. Then he spent another 40 years in the wilderness of Midian, uh, taking care of another man's sheep. He did that 80 years before he got a chance to find himself back in Egypt delivering the children of God from the house of Pharaoh and the hand of Pharaoh before he took them out into that same wilderness that he knew like the back of his hand to pastor them for another 40 years. Isn't that amazing? J.L., J.L. spent her days in uh, you know, uh, housekeeping. Housekeeping for her was working in a tent. You know, she drove the tent pegs and tightened the, the, the ropes and, and strengthened the house. That's how she made her housekeeping. And it, while she was busy, not only doing that, but also making blankets and milking goats, guess what God did? God saw her that she had prepared. He wanted to use what she had learned. He sent a man named Sisera, who was the captain of the armies of the enemies of God. You can read about it in the book of Judges. God sent Sisera. Sisera to her tent. What did she do? She took some of that warm milk. No doubt she milked the goat and she gave it to him. She took one of those blankets. No doubt she made the blanket and she stretched it out over him. And then she took the tent peg, which was her tent peg, and the hammer, which was her hammer, and drove it right through his head all the way down into the ground. Killed him with one blow. Talk about God wanting to use what you've learned. David learned how to use a sling when he was a little boy. He already killed the bear. He already killed the lion. He was a young shepherd, but he did that before he got a chance to kill Goliath. Then he became a member of, 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 of David's court and then a part of the army, then the captain of the army, and finally the king. What qualified him? It's all that he had learned, all that he had worked on before he had the crown on his head. Peter, Peter learned how to fish. That's what Jesus wanted from Peter. All that Peter had learned. Because God knew that Peter was going to be the best choice for Jesus' disciple. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a real fisher. I'll make you a fisher of men. Paul went to school. The apostle Paul studied the law of God. 
became very good at what he did before he knew Jesus. In fact, he didn't like any of those uh, people following Jesus. He didn't like any, you know, anybody in the church. And, and, and uh, He learned how to argue against them. He learned how to defend the law of Moses in a public and in court settings. He used everything he learned once he found Jesus. God wanted to use what Paul knew. He wanted to use what Paul learned. Because Paul spent the rest of his life arguing. He spent the rest of his life presenting arguments for the gospel. All the way to the governor, the high priest, before the king. And finally he found himself in a house next to the house of Nero, who was the emperor of Rome. Paul arguing, again, presenting arguments for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God used everything Paul learned. Mary Magdalene. You know, Mary Magdalene, like the demon-possessed man of Gadara, she learned and she understood what it was like to be bound up in darkness. She knew what it was like to be chained to sin by demons. She and the demoniac of Gadara both were set free and they could tell you the difference between light and darkness, between the power of the devil and the power of God. They both knew. Out of Mary, Jesus cast seven devils, Luke 8. Out of that same chapter, he cast a legion out of that man and then he called them to go and tell. Go and show what God has done for you. Go and tell. He called them as evangelists. He wanted to use what they knew. They knew the difference between light and darkness, between being bound and being set free. God most often uses people in the area of their expertise. You have an area of expertise in your life. And perhaps God is more willing and more capable and desirous of using what you know and what you have learned more than you could imagine. God has had his hand on you. The providential hand of God has been on you since the beginning. He has not left you because maybe you've walked away from him or maybe you've forgotten him or maybe you made a wrong turn or maybe you've been out of church for a while. God has not left you. Through each season, over every mountain, he's helped you. He stayed with you. The prince of darkness of this world has done their best to distract you, to disappoint you, to disillusion you, deceive you, destroy your life, and yet you are here today. Think about it. Boy, when, when, when God spoke that to me this week, that the people who are sitting in church, the people who are watching online, those are people that I have destined. Even though the devil has tried to destroy their life, even though they've been distracted and disappointed, disillusioned, yet they are here. Tell them what I'm willing to do through them. You're here. Why? Because God's not going to leave you alone. He hasn't left you alone so far. Even though many of you have disappointed God, He didn't leave you. He's brought you right back here and you are here with your heart open and with God touching your heart and telling you, you can do this. You can do it. The Holy Spirit has never left you, even in your darkest moments, and He will not leave you now. Why? Because someone is praying for you.
someone has been praying for you. Brother Vaughn, that's why you can't quit. That's why your ministry now to these elderly in the nursing homes has taken off, is exploding, and people are being born again right and left. Why? Because somebody has prayed for you. That's the way it works. When you were driving through California and you had been strung out on drugs and didn't know what to do, you know, a famous man, you know, playing for the mamas and the papas, the Beach Boys, the Bee Gees, uh, you know, uh, Elvis, and, and uh, I, mean, I mean, you had played for them all. Kenny Rogers, you know, uh, the Gamma, you know, and yet you had to turn into a Billy Graham crusade. Why? Because somebody had been praying for you. Yeah. Yes. Why do you think you're here right now? Is it because you never had a disappointment? No. It's because through your disappointment, somebody's been praying for you. Somebody prayed for you when you weren't even praying for yourself. I wondered... How God could ever use me. I was no good and everybody except my grandmother, my mama, and my siblings believed it. I even believed it. I believed I was no good. I, I was wearing all the medals of a sinner. No one imagined I would change. And I was headed down the same road as my father's walk before me. Everybody in my hometown knew my family. You know, my dad was a nice guy, but he was a drunk. You know, a 30-year-old drunk with four children. He finally came to the place where he decided he needed a life change. No doubt the Holy Spirit was convic conv conv convicting him, and, and he, he, he was feeling the need and, and, and feeling like he, he, he needed to make a change. And so he walked into a church one night, and, and, and when he walked into that little church in our community, at the end of the service, he went down forward. He went in tears under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, only to be told by the preacher... That everyone knows you. We all know you. That's what he said. That's what my dad told me. We all know you. We know how you are. You've already committed too many sins to be saved. You're going to hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. With that, my dad was pointed away from the altar and told to leave. He had already committed too many sins. All he had to look forward to was hell. Sadly, he was turned away from the altar that night. Because everybody knew he was a sinner. He left church and said to himself, if, this is his testimony to me, if, if God you know, uh, uh, is going to send me to hell anyway, I may as well go ahead and live like hell. And he did. For the next 16 years, critical years in, in raising children, from the time I was about five until my early 20s, my dad lived his hell, and his wife and children paid for it. I wonder how different it would have been if only that preacher who turned him away would have known how much God loves sinners. I'm here to testify, however, that the Holy Spirit never left my dad. There were some tough love moments, some boundaries we had to set up from time to time. But my mother taught us to pray and to pray for him.
I know my brother and my sisters and my mother never stopped praying for my dad. I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, I just wasn't. In fact, I was the one in need of prayer. And while they were praying for him, they were praying for me too. And wouldn't you know it? God blesses those just as much who do nothing as the ones who do something. Because at 26 years old, I was blessed to see my dad walk down the aisle of a church while I was preaching. I was blessed to be able to baptize my dad. I was blessed. I prayed for him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he did. I became his pastor. He and my, he and my mom. And I ordained him into the ministry a few years later. Served with him and my mother in the church for years before I finally preached his funeral right alongside my brother, who's a Southern Baptist preacher who most of you know. The Holy Spirit never left my father, you know. That right, sis? My sister's watching. I love you, sweetheart. God loves sinners. God did not want my daddy to go to hell. God kept bringing him back, bringing him back around, bringing him back around, bringing him back around. That's why some of you are here today. That's why some of you are watching today. God's bringing you back around, back around, back around. Why? He doesn't want you to go to hell. Why? Because somebody's praying for you. Somebody cares enough to pray. Only the devil would tell you that God does not want you in his church. Only the devil would tell you that God doesn't love you or won't forgive you or you've done too much. That same devil will even try to convince you that you don't love God. That's a pack of lies. Listen to this statement. The arguments you're having in your head are one voice arguments and the devil is the only one talking. That's not what you're believing. You know? Whatsoever things are good and lovely and honest, those are the things that God's trying to get in your mind. All the things that are horrible and terrible and, and wicked and evil and hurtful, those are the things the devil, and most of those arguments in your head, all the arguments in your head against God are one voice arguments and the devil's the only one talking. Don't let him fool you into thinking it's you. You don't feel that way. Romans, the first chapter says, you're deceived. You have to deceive yourself into believing that you really don't believe in God. It's, 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 that's nutty. God has never left you. That's why you're listening to me right now. God wants to save your soul. Right now he wants to save you. And he can do it whether you're on campus or online. He can save your soul right now. He wants to. All you have to do is just give it up to him. If you believe... Realizing that you need a Savior. Recognizing you need a Savior. And of course you do. Don't let the devil try to convince you that you're so tough you don't need a Savior. That's not the truth. Recognize you need a Savior. Repent of your sins. Just say, I'm sorry. There's nothing else you can do about it. You can't fix it. You can't turn it back. You can't change it. You can't undo it. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ by simply saying, Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Save my soul. There's nothing more you can do. It's free. Salvation is free. Right now you can be saved. Right now. Simon, Simon, he said. You know, Satan has asked for you. He's asked for you. He wants to sift you like sweet, but like wheat. But, but, but Jesus said, I prayed for you. I pray that you don't stop believing. But your faith doesn't fail. And when you have returned to me, 
when you have gotten yourself right with me, then you strengthen, you testify, you share with others. That's what I'm doing today. That's what we're doing today. Amen? And we're going to leave here doing that. God's been good to us. God's been good to you. Let's tell others. He saved our soul. Somebody's praying for you. (laughs) Number one, Jesus. He lives forever to make intercession for us. But somebody else is praying for you. Let me ask you, who are you praying for? Who is it? You can just ask God, put someone on my heart, Lord, that needs prayer. And he won't leave them alone. He'll keep bringing them back. He'll keep bringing them back. He'll keep bringing them back. And they will have every chance to be born again. Don't give up. God's not going to give up. The Holy Spirit's not going to give up. Holy Spirit's not going to leave your children or your children's children. The Holy Spirit is not going to leave them. He's not going to let them go. He's going to take, take it serious. Is there somebody you need to pray for right now? Do you need to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and your life? Do you need to be born again? Do you need to get right with God? It's simple. Just lay it down and give it to Him. Don't listen to the voices of the devil. Just bow your head and consider, do you need to ask God to forgive you? Do you need to ask Him for someone to pray for? Or do you know someone you can pray for? Let's ask Him right now to forgive us. Father, Lord, thank You for Jesus, Your Son. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that because of his sacrifice, because of the blood he shed on the cross of Calvary, Lord, and because you can and you want to forgive us, Lord, that you would now apply that blood to our life. Forgive us, Almighty God. Forgive us of our sin, Lord. Forgive us, God, of our failures, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not pleased you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you for your forgiveness. Save our soul, Lord, by that precious sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, that our faith not fail. Lord, restore us, God. Heal us from our disappointments, from our distractions and disillusions, God. And Lord, we pray you would give us someone, Lord, that we too can pray for. And Lord, whoever's been praying for us, Lord, whoever invested in us, Lord, God, thank them, bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord, for being such a blessing to us. We ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.